This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That to say that I'm joined on Football CFB today by the Greenock Morton captain, Jim McAllister. Jim, thanks for joining me. Not a problem, looking forward to it. I know you've done quite a few of these interviews in the past where you've talked about your whole career, but I want to do something a wee bit different today. I want to focus on some of the unique elements of your career because it's been a career that's seen you play in every division in Scottish football. It's also taken you down to, to England where you've played in League 2, one promotion to League 1 at Wembley and amongst many other things as well. So the first thing I want to ask you is, in terms of Scottish football, what are the differences between playing in the third division to the second, to the first, to the premiership? Is it physicality that improves? Is it technical ability? Is it more than that? I think, obviously, first and foremost, the, the higher you go through the leagues, the, the physical side of things is certainly different because the higher you go, the more full-time players and full-time teams you come up against, obviously, looking at uh, League One and League Two now, predominantly part-time, they, they train once or twice a week, so they might be not as sharp and as physically strong as, as the Championship and the Premier League, but the, the all-round standard is is decent. We even found last season, we played Brora, uh, obviously, in the Scottish Cup. They're a Highland League club, obviously, they were playing high at the top of the league, but even that was, was a tough test for us. You know, the, the standard was good, but obviously when you get to the top end of the championship and, and leading towards, obviously, the Premier League, the, the all-round physicalities, bigger, the players are bigger, fitter and, and stronger, and, and also you add in that wee ingredient, uh, the quality as well, because the quality of player, obviously, the higher you go, uh, certainly makes it harder to play. Absolutely, and in terms of going to grounds, as a player, was it harder going to the sort of small grounds when you were playing in the third division where maybe there's not as many people there and you can hear everything they're shouting? Or was it harder going to the big venues, your Celtic Parks, Ibrooks, Easter Roads? Uh, the, lower, the lower league ones are certainly tough. Like you, you, you bounce into places like as you, you touched on Ibrooks and, and Parkhead and Easter Road and Tynecastle and that because you're so excited to play in that kind of arena, but obviously when you when you drop down the, the leagues as such and they may be going to places, no disrespect, like Albion Rovers, or I think when I played up at Elgin back about 2003, it was like water cabins, you, you get changed in back then, so uh, it, it's, certainly, it's certainly different, but when you start off your career at that level, getting changed in, in the water cabins and some places you go to half the team's got to get ready well with the other halfway outside and, and then you swap over and stuff. It certainly gives you a, a kind of that drive, you know, to aspire to, to get to the, the top level in Scotland. In terms of getting to the top level, another part of your story that really interests me is the fact that you're from Rothsey in the sense that it's not the, the mainland of Scotland. So what's that like growing up there and, and getting to the mainland to play? Because I imagine in a sense it's, Maybe not, maybe I'm wrong. Is it harder to get spotted because you're kind of out the way a wee bit? 
No, it's certainly certainly tough. Like uh, I was obviously brought up on the island, and uh, I was fortunate enough. I had I had parents that that helped me try and achieve my my goals and my dream of playing football. But I never played competitive football till I was about fourteen regularly, just because of that stretch of water. We're fortunate enough to have a local coach over in Rossi uh, who took us for training sessions on a Wednesday night and, and a Saturday morning. He was a, a huge influence on me personally, my career going forward. And then he found us a boys club to, to come across and, and play the mainland when I was 14. But it was just a case of training with, with him on a Wednesday. There was a good understanding with the boys club as long as I was training on the island on a Wednesday. I was dropped off at the ferry on a Saturday morning handed a tenner by my mum and my dad and on you go on the ferry, get the train up to Paisley and, and play your game and then do the same journey on the reverse on the way home. So I, I was fortunate enough in terms of my, my parents helped me in terms of that, but the ferry shut off at eight o'clock at night and, and that's just, it's a killer for, for young aspiring football players. Shadow of doubt. In, in terms of going to the mainland, how did you get spotted by Morton and how did the, the move to Morton come about, the first spell? You know, I'm not really sure. There was two, there was two younger boys travelling from Rossi. They played, I think, for the under 16s at the time at Morton, and I'm not sure if it came through. They were in the same coaching group as, as me and Rossi. I'm not sure if it came through the local coach, maybe having a word with them and saying, "Look, can you speak to your your coaches or whatever?" There's there's a player they might like. If you can even have a look at him, and then I was asked over to. To training on a Tuesday and a Thursday night with the under 18s at uh, Battery Park. And after a couple of weeks, Stevie Frail was, was the coach at the time. Uh, after a couple of weeks, I was, we Andy was sent down from Capo because the, the first team were training Tuesdays and Thursday nights back then as well. And he was sent down to pick me up a couple of times. And I got to go up and train with the first team. And then it was about a month after that that I was, that I was offered terms to sign. See, when you are young and you go up to train with a first team, for the sort of first few times, what's that experience like? Is it are you nervous or are you just desperate to get an improve? You deserve to be there. You know what? I, I don't think I was nervous because I hadn't experienced coming through an academy, so I'd never really experienced being at a proper football club, and I had just been at boys' club and just going out and expressing yourself and enjoying football. So I was still at school. I probably didn't really understand the pressures. And what came of what I was doing as well, but it was just a case of yeah, just going up and, and really enjoying it, and, and thankfully, must have done enough to kind of catch the eye and, and earn that that contract that, that gets you started in the game. As a 16, 17 year old, when you go into that environment, who were the big characters that were in the dressing room at that time, and how did they respond to you? Uh, characters back then, there was I think probably the one that stands out is Alex Williams. He was flying at the time. Typical scheme boy, uh, brought up and governed up to mischief all the time. And I just, I, I was playing as a striker at the time as well. So obviously he was banging in goals for, for the first team. And he's probably certainly one that caught the eye early doors. He had the, the sunbed tan and, and the hair <laughs> gel and all that. So he stood with what I saw of him. But he also had that. I mean, Derek Collins, I would have to give a mention as well. He, he was a massive influence on me. With, all the bags of experience he had and we actually ended up travelling together for a couple of seasons further down the line and he was the, obviously club captain at the time, well respected and, and he was a massive help for me as well. 
in terms of yourself, you make your debut as a sub against Peter Head at Capolo. You're 17 years old. I mean, what's it like making your debut at that age? Is it, is it a lot of players talk about it? For instance, when they talk about young players that maybe get a chance in the Premier League at that age, do you think of the likes of Rooney and Rashford sort of thing? When they look back on that, they normally say they were so fearless that it didn't bother them. Were you the same? Probably, yeah. It was such a whirlwind. I'd probably refer back to it. It was the same like when I was when I was pulled up to the training sessions. I probably didn't even probably didn't realise what you were kind of getting yourself into uh, to an extent. And I had played the previous day for for the under 18s up at Glasgow Green, and Cowboy took the game because Stevie Frail was ill, and obviously uh, done enough to catch his eye in the game, and he just pulled me after the game. He says. If you came down with me to Capelo and we get done before five o'clock, when you get everything signed in the papers away, I'll put you on the bench for the first team tomorrow. So you're just kind of walking on cloud nine, and never in a million years did I expect to to get on the park. And I think the game was tight. I think we only won one nil, and it was an important game because Peterhead were one of the teams near the top of the league as well. But we went into stoppage time, and, and the game was a shout to, to go on. I never touched the ball, but it was still a, a surreal experience to go for. Still being at school and how everything just changed in a couple of days and, and getting on the park was special. You mentioned the fact you're still at school. How, how is that experience? Is it one of those things when you get back to school, everybody's asking you about it? Because I imagine it must be very cool. Because I remember when, when I was in school, obviously, David McNeil was the kind of year above me and he played a few games at Morton. Um, and that for us was a, a big moment because we just thought, wow, we were in school with this guy and he's playing for a first team. Yeah, it was good. Listen, I, I was I'll be the first in that I was probably wasting my time at school. Uh, it was my last year and sixth year at school, and I was just going through the motions pretty much because you always clung onto that dream that you would get the opportunity in football. And we had actually split up for it was the Christmas holidays. We had split up for, and that's when obviously during that period I, I get uh, offered the contract and signed. So when I actually went back to school, it was just to sign your leavers forms pretty much, but. It was nice to get around all, all the classes and, and see all the, the, the teachers and thank them for, for everything they had done. And obviously, as you say, there was folk to be here to, to ask loads of questions and what's it like, blah, 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 and uh, where do you want to go uh, going forward in the game and stuff like that. So it was it was nice to go back, but it was also nice to, to get the leavers form signed and, <laughs> and start to fully focus on your, your football career. Just on school, while we're, we're on that subject, see now, because you've achieved so much in the game, see back in, Ross, is it one of those things where schools maybe sometimes ask you to go in? Because, as I say, you're one of the examples that have made it in the game from, from the island. Yeah, I've been back a couple of times. It's always nice, nice to, to get asked back. There's, there's still a lot of teachers there that, that were there when, when I was at school, so it's, it's nice to go back and, and, and catch up with them. Uh, I've done a couple of the, the sports day prize givings and, and different things like that, and done a couple of talks about about different things, and basically just to remind kids that unfortunately not everyone's as lucky to, to have a career in football, and it's it's so important to, to stick in at, at your schoolwork, make that a priority, and then whatever comes after that in terms of professional sport, then so be it. Your first start for Morton was against the Elgin City. It was away. You played as a striker. I mean, what was it like playing up top? Was that something that you thought you would go on to do long term? It's it's the only position I'd ever really played. I'd always been a striker. I had a 
a few spells in my three years playing boys' club, maybe filling in that I remember playing as both fullbacks, right and left back, and sweeper as well. But I predominantly been a striker, and I was signed as a striker, and it was good. I can still vaguely remember it. We played in the old grey. I think it was a third kit for that season, and I was playing up front with Warren Hawk, which was a big help. Obviously, with Hawkey's vast amount of experience in the game, it was important that I was playing up with, with someone important as that. But I'll never forget it. We travelled up on the Friday. Temperatures were minus whatever up there. And on the Friday, there was talk of the game being called off. Saturday morning, it, it certainly didn't look great. And I think John McCormack, because we had travelled up on the Friday and paid for the, the hotel and everything, I think he pretty much threatened the referee you better play this game because this is what it was going to cost the club. But it was, it was bizarre. And then we walked on the pitch and it was like a car park. Like a quarter of the pitch right down the main stand side. I can still remember it. It was rock solid. There's never been a game of football played on it. But thankfully, it never done us any damage. We, we got away with a 0-0 draw and I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of my first kind of 90 minutes in first team football. You, you mentioned John McCormack there. What a character. Just, just what was it like? Well, it's funny, like, what, one of the true characters that's probably lacking for the game nowadays, you know, it's proper old school and obviously we were just apprentices at the time, so we were in early in the mornings and you'd be sitting half sleeping in the dressing room, getting ready to go and start your chores. Next thing, the door would burst open, the lights would get switched off. Right, who wants a fight? <laughs> and he's what they go about and, and scrap the young boys and we are all looking at each other like this. He's been serious here. He's like, I'll give you one punch each. It better be a good one because I'll be coming straight back at you and all that. So uh, that's the type of character he was. But I, I love playing under him. He, he certainly gave me my opportunity to, to get started in the game. So he, he was a, a great character. In terms of that first season at Morton when you're getting those games, the club wins the third division. It was crucial that the club get out of that division because not used to, to playing at that level. Just how important was that for not only yourself, but the group of boys as well? Yeah, it was uh, massively important for the club. Because obviously the, the chairman had thrown a lot of money at it to, to get out of the league. I think, looking back, they wanted it to be a wee bit more comfortable than it was. Obviously, it went to the last day of the season. I, I only played a, a tiny wee, wee part in that, yeah. with the odd appearance here and there. But probably been naive and, and young in just starting out in the game, you, you don't really appreciate days like the Peterhead game when there was nearly 9,000 in Capelo and it's basically a shootout for the league and you managed to do the business and you're out on the pitch enjoying it at the end. But I, I was only you see, a, a young kid at the time and prob probably never properly really appreciated what kind of day it was. It's, it's What interests me again is the fact that third division, you're, you're a kid, you're playing bit part. You go up to the second division again, you're, you're playing games here and there, still playing for the reserves, but by 4 you're you've broken into the team, 36 appearances, you played basically every single game in the second division that season. Just what was it like when you started to establish yourself? Could you feel that you were starting to become one of the better players in the team? I think the second season when I didn't really play a hell of a lot was tough, but it was like a transition period. Like They maybe... The, the staff had maybe seen me playing elsewhere uh, in the team and was trying to adapt to that. Still doing well in the reserves and, and thankfully enough, I had done enough to 
can earn your, your first pro contract type of thing. They'd obviously seen enough potential in there, a kind of work in progress type thing to, to offer his terms. And I think we were up north for pre-season, I'm pretty sure, and we played like of Devon Vale and, and teams like that. And I, I can remember doing really, really well in the games. I think he's a right wing-back, I'm pretty sure. And obviously when, when the competitive stuff started, thankfully I, I kind of continued that form into the, the League Cup games and, and the League games and kind of never really looked back to there. What was it like going from John McCormack to, to Jim McAnally as, as managers? Because Jim's obviously had a, a sort of history of giving young players opportunities over the years where he's, he's sort of youth coaching but Celtic and other places. It was like chalk and cheese, pretty <laughs> much in terms of what type of people they were. You know, Jim's, he's that laid back. But you knew there was a line there and you respected him for the, obviously the, the playing career he had and, and coaching career. But he gave boys a lot of leeway, which players appreciated. And I felt players kind of returned that on, on the field for him as well. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough he kind of took a shine, him and his assistant, Clarkey, who I'm still in regular contact with, kind of took a shine to make an early doors, which helped because it's worrying, it, obviously, being young, not a lot of games under your belt, and it's the first kind of change in management I had experienced in my career at that point. So obviously you're, you're worried, you're only a year contract, is this new manager going to like me, am I going to play, blah, blah, blah. So it's fortunate enough, obviously, kind of caught Jimmy's eye quite early on and went on to play the majority of the games under his, his tenure at the club. In terms of his tenure, one of the things that I imagine, obviously with hindsight now, that would have been frustrating for yourself and him when he looks back is Gretna in the sense that you're competing against them, you're, you're doing your best, you're, you're holding your own for the majority of the season, but in the end they've just got a bit too much. And at the time, you, you probably sit and you think, right, fair enough, they deserve it. But when you, you look at the way it kind of ended and the, the money they threw at it, which they, in a way, couldn't really afford it, it must up you a wee bit. Uh, it was frustrating. It, it certainly was. It was well documented what they were. They were paying boys to, to come and play at, at that level and, and different things. The likes of obviously attracted the likes of James Grady and and you seen the boys that came to us years following as well with Jenkins and McGuffey and, and boys like that further down the line. But that that was a, a right proper competitive league that as well because you had a good part of Thistle side in it also uh, and, and Peterhead ultimately. Defeated us in the playoffs as well, which was frustrating because I think we were, we were well played in second place. I'm pretty sure. And yeah. The first year the playoffs were were brought in, and ultimately we fell at the first huddle. I think we lost one 0 in aggregate. No, no, at Capo and lost one 0 up there. It was it's frustrating. It, 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 the person I felt for most was probably the chairman because he was just so desperate to get the club back up to, to that old first division where he felt that the club rightly should be and then establish yourself there and, and try and have plans to, to go higher but it probably took us a couple of years longer than what we wanted to but thankfully we eventually got there in the end. A player I've got to ask you about, I interviewed him a few months ago as you know Andy McLaren and when he talked about the players he played with at Morton he went through them and he mentioned you and he said, he says you can pass this on to him, he was a freak, he said the fitness he had, he said Back then, and he's still got now, he says, puts guys like me to shame. He said, I've never, never seen him get tired. He could just run all day, and he could play as well. Uh, uh, what a character. Like, 
obviously I, I'd grown up through the 90s and you had seen him play at Dundee United and, and different things and you could tell he was a character back then just watching from the side but when Jimmy managed to get him to us on loan uh, obviously I was playing on one side and, and he was playing on the other uh, but even just I could sit and listen to him all day at training just these daft stories and it was some days he would come in absolutely wired to the moon and it would just make you laugh at the moment he got to the training until the moment he left but and I've said numerous times uh, previously, like he's certainly one of the best players that, that I had the, the pleasure of playing alongside. He, he, they thoroughly deserved he only got one cap, I think, for Scotland, and they should probably have had more, you know, looking back and, and what ability he's had. But some of the stuff he got up to was, was <laughs> mental. Like for a, a grown man as well, you'd expect him to be starting to chill out a wee bit, but he's just going mad. What a great guy. He told me the story where he used to go on the physio table with a thong on and obviously the chairman would come in. I mean, what 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 was the reaction of the boys and yourself to that? that touching on the playoff game, that was before one of the playoff games. That was before <laughs> the Peterhead. That was before the Peterhead playoff game. So it was obviously everyone's tense and nervous and you name it. And the next thing he, he goes out to the, the music system or whatever it was, we hadn't addressed him at the time or that. Fires on Peter Andre, and the next thing he's up in the physio bed and starts stripping down. And I'm thinking, where's this going to go? Next thing, chairman walks in with Arthur Morford as well. See, you missed that bit. Oh, he's and he's in the physio bed, and then he's serenading the chairman and different things. And I'm thinking, but what a brilliant way just to make the boys relax before it was the biggest game in the club the club had had in God knows how many years. Andy just took that tension right out, the, the, the pre-match build-up, just being on the physio bed and, and pretty much flipping into your thong and, and dancing for the boys. <laughs> In terms of Jim McAnally, see having a player like Andy McLaren, see because of the abilities he's got, see that sort of, those sort of things that he was doing and obviously it helped relax the boys as well. Would he not mind that? Because if he was doing that, it suggested maybe he was in a good place to express himself on the park. Yeah, definitely. I, I, Andy will have documented what issues he's had yeah. himself like, over his, his career. And we witnessed him have some low points at, at Morton as well. But obviously, I think Jimmy had probably played with him briefly as well, potentially at Dundee United, I think. Yeah. Uh, so he'd have known him as a person and, and probably knew how to manage him uh, better than most. And just to give Andy that freedom, you know, just to training whether it was entertaining the boys and just keep him fit and make sure he was rolling out on a Saturday because when he rolled out on a Saturday he'd done the business for us. Another big character I need to ask you about Peter Weatherson Spoonsy of course um, goal scorer um, played so many games the, the 9-1 game against Forfa it's one of the, the biggest and best memories of my childhood growing up just what was he like to play with and, and what was he like as a character because like Andy someone else it was up for a laugh and a joke Yeah Spoonsy Spoonsy was always banging in the middle of all the, the dressing room banter that was going on. Um, but touching on him as a player, first and foremost, his ability was, was frightening. As you said, as a goal scorer, first and foremost, both feet, he knew if he was getting half a chance, regardless whether it was inside the 18-yard box or 25 yards from goal, he knew he had a chance of going in. Uh, 
certainly, again, as I said about Andy, about one of the, the better players I played with, Spoonby, which is certainly a played at a higher level throughout his career, that I have, I have no doubt about. But he's went on and done what not many players do, and he spent over 10 years at Morton, which was unbelievable service to give to the club. And uh, no, but, uh, nothing but positive things to say about him as well, as a person and as a player. One of the things that interests me uh, to ask you is, is uh, when you played in the left wing, you had the, the sort of shaggy hair, the blonde hair. Um, I used to sit, when I had my season ticket with my dad, we used to sit bang on the halfway line of the cow shed, and you used to be always over there, not, normally first half, if I remember right, going down the Sinclair Street end. And In terms of you as, as, as a winger, see the transition from striker to going to, to the left wing, what was that like? Because we used to just love watching you take people on. Uh, it was, I it was, it was strange. Touching on the hair, I think that was a, I can't say a midlife crisis because I was still young, but I don't know what's going on in, in terms of the barnet. But uh, I, it was, it was just something that I, I just seemed to fall into place. Uh, I'd always been, when I'd been younger, I was always confident enough running with the ball and and taking folk on. And I'm pretty sure in terms of coming to play on the left hand side, I'd. I think it was due to injuries in a reserve game, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's just a case of going to volunteer and, and see how you go. And I think I had a run of games in the reserve team playing, playing as a left winger. And Cowboy made that transition and, and put us in there in the first team. And, and thankfully enjoyed a, a number of years of, of playing there. And built up a good relationship with folk playing behind us as well. So I had a good run of games playing in front of Davy McGregor, which was a massive help. And, and Davy would just get the ball and give you constantly. And that's what wingers they want. They just want to pick up the ball and run it, folks. So I was lucky in terms of that. Absolutely. And you mentioned David McGregor there. He also played alongside Stuart Grecian, the skipper. And what were they like as characters? Because they seemed like very demanding guys. Yeah, no, they were. It, it was it was a great bunch, you know, to be involved with. And but there was probably a run of games where the team didn't vary too much as well, even throughout the season. There was always that spine of players that. It seemed to be involved, whether it was David McGregor and Big Grease at the back, you know, through Chris Miller and myself, kind of playing through midfield as well, working at regulars, and obviously he touched on Big Peter playing up top. I, I think in terms of if you're looking for consistency and, and a wee bit of success, I think that's important when, when you're building a football team, you know, to have that kind of spine of players in place. And, and, and as you say, it, it, they were demanding players as well which tended to get the best out of the rest of the players that were built round about them. Another thing that sums you up as a player, as Andy McLaren said in my interview, was your fitness. I mean, for Morton, you started 107 consecutive league matches in a row. I mean, in terms of your fitness, is that something you've always seen as one of your major strengths? Yeah, probably. Yeah, lots a lot to do as well. Obviously not picking up any injuries and, I'm not sure if I was close to doing 100 again at Morton. Uh, I, know, I know when I've been far away, I think I broke my foot to, towards the end of my time, but I think it, it's something I've always kind of took pride in myself with, is being fit and being available for the manager to select you if and when he, he wants to. And Yeah, that folk can, can say you're, you're as fit as a fiddle, blah, 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 but I've seen lots of a huge part in that as well in terms of avoiding injuries and it's fortunate enough obviously playing on that left wing over a number of years he had a fair few kicks to deal with from, from full backs but fortunately it was never anything serious 
In terms of um, Gretna, we talked about them earlier on. Getting into the, the first division was important for Morton. You managed to do that the season after the battle with Gretna. Still in Albion with your big competitors, but people forget teams like Wraith Rovers, Air United were in the division as well. Just how amazing was it to finally get over the line and, and get a league title under your belt where like you mentioned the third division, you were a kid, you played a few games here and there, but in that season where you won the second division, you were a big part of that team. Yeah, no, it, it was good. It was good. Uh, obviously, the more seasons you spent in the second division, the, the pressure was growing. You know, because obviously the chairman was throwing his, his good hand earned money at it to get the club back up and Thankfully, that season was, was the season we done it. it. Probably again took us a wee bit longer than, than what we were hoping to, to get over the line. I remember going to Still and Albion. I think and, and losing late on in the season. I think it was Robert Snodgrass that, that scored two free kicks that day and, and put us to the sword. And then folk were seriously asking questions about us. And I think it was it probably summed the season up the way it went. Uh, we ended up winning the league when we lost. At Wraith Rovers, which was bizarre, but I'll never forget the feeling at the end of that game. Obviously, waiting to hear, I think Stirling were playing there the same day, and we had to rely on air beating Stirling, I think. And uh, obviously, we heard that result coming through, having lost to Wraith Rovers at the end, and it was just a huge relief all round from everyone. Huge relief to get back to the first division, as you've said. And in terms of that camp, league winning campaign, two, two guys I want to ask you about. I imagine these guys are chalk and cheese, but I could be wrong. Chris Templeman and Paul McGowan, obviously, who was on loan. Oh, Gowser. Uh, I don't know where you start with Gowser. Like, uh, and he's never changed his whole career. He never changed. Like, uh, stone mad. His blood pressure must be through the roof <laughs> constantly through the day. And he was like that as a kid, but that wasn't a bad thing. You know, he, he wasn't scared that whatever age he was when he came to us, 18, 19, to to speak his mind and he had an unbelievable season for us that year. Absolutely. Uh, some of the goals he scored in that when he came in was different class. And then obviously the, the chairman had spent a lot of money on, on Big Chris as well. And I think he felt a wee bit of the pressure in terms of the price tag, but on his day, as he proved in, in certain occasions, like obviously the, the Kilmarnock Scottish Cup games, the one that stands Absolutely. out for everyone with, with the goals he scored that day and he was unfortunate not to have a hat-trick and the big man, I've never seen anyone of that size with, with feet like it. You know, the, the way he could, he could take the ball and, and dribble through three or four players was, was different class. But as you say, you're right to say about in terms of chalk and cheese and in terms of characters. Like Sani's a quiet man and, and Gowser's a wee angry man. <laughs> See the fact that he's a kind of wee angry man. Is he somebody, you said he's not shy, would he dig out the kind of experienced guys, the likes of like Grishin and stuff in the team? Would he, if he didn't agree with them, he would, he, even even though he was young, he, would, he wouldn't be shy and sane? Absolutely. Aye. Uh, I think that that's just his makeup. And he's still exactly the same now. I know he, he skippered Dundee against us last year, the season just gone by. And we walked out and done the coin toss, and he wasn't happy with the way the referee had tossed the coin. <laughs> And he had lost. He had lost the plot. He literally lost the plot before the game had even started. Like, wow. and I'm saying, mate, come on, like, calm down. But me and the referee were killing ourselves laughing because you know exactly what he's like. He's he's just a winner. It, it, that's just the way he is, and he just wants the best for everyone round about him. And he, he certainly no, he certainly wasn't shy in terms of digging out kind of senior pros back then. Absolutely. Back to the first division. 
you, you win that league title. Transition eventually comes where Davy Irons comes in as a manager. What was that like? Because obviously he came from Gretna, who were a club who weren't were successful at that time. And, and as you mentioned earlier, brought some of the Gretna players with him, Jenkins, McGuffey and a few others. Yeah, no, the transition was pretty smooth. Obviously, boys had been there for a number of years. were extremely sad to see Jimmy and Clarkey leave the club. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was off. It was Jimmy's own decision. You know, I'm pretty sure at the end up from what I've heard, I think the chairman was one to keep him because they had such a fantastic working relationship. The two of them, they obviously felt for himself and different things that was time to move on. And uh, obviously, David coming in along with, with Dixie, which helped for a lot of players as well, because a lot of players had that relationship with, with Derek Collins uh, having been there previous as a player. So I felt he made the transition in terms of the new management team coming in and that would be a bit easier. I've been told to ask this question by a former player. I'll let you guess which player it is. Um, he said you used to get pissed off with him because he would accidentally stand on your toes every two minutes. Okay, thank you. That, that could be a number of people. Brian Wake. Oh, wait. Uh, right. <laughs> he, yeah, said, whenever you, he, he said, whenever you interview Jim, he said, ask him, he says, I was quite clumsy and in training. He said, I would stand on his toes every two minutes. He said, and he would just lose a rag. And I'd be saying, I don't mean it, I promise. Because uh, he wore clumpers, he fit my boots as well. I think he had old umbrellas <laughs> that were a bit four, they, they weighed about four stone. I'm pretty sure. But, eh, uh, if it wasn't his toes, if it wasn't him stamping on your toes, he would catch you by an elbow. He's one of the type of guys, but uh, another great character they have in the dressing room, and I'm pretty sure he's one that, that supporters seem to, to take a shine to as well over the years. Absolutely, and as I say, um, he said to me at the time, he said, I used to do it every day, he said, and the worst thing was, he said, I wasn't even meaning it, he says, and I think it got to the point, <laughs> he said, where Jim just thought, what are you doing, are you doing this in purpose? Um, uh, it, I think at the end up, I think it was just a case of look, we just agreed I'm not going to get anywhere near you if I'm in the opposition team during training, just for the sake of my, none of my toes getting broken. Brilliant. Um, another thing that's very unique to yourself, um, Unaria Urzacheni, Dan Petrescu, um, they obviously came over to Scotland, they played Rangers in the Champions League. Um, Petrescu, as we know, was a, a player at Chelsea, quite um, highly rated as well as, as a manager, still is. What was that like when you get the opportunity to go and train with them? Because they were playing, obviously, Champions League football. Was in the end, ultimately, was location the big, the big turn off in a sense? No, I, no, absolutely not. Uh, oh, I, obviously, I think I was going into my last year. I think it, yeah, and then, I think we, if I'm right, we stepped in and took the game late on because I think they were meant to play someone else, potentially at United, and I think. Morton could have stepped in at the last minute to play them. And it's just one of the things you, you play well at the right place at the right time and then obviously caught his eye and get changed after the game. Then and Dougie Ray came in and says look there's a bit of interest from, from them given what they've seen on, on tonight's performance. We're trying to work something out in terms of going and spending the rest of the week with them, which ultimately I did. Uh, stayed with them in their hotel in, in Glasgow and Trained a couple of days and played for them against Plymouth, Argyle, somewhere in Glasgow, I think, for, for 20 minutes. But everything then was in place. I had a, a right good long chat with Dan Petrescu uh, at the hotel and 
they were happy for me to go out by and see what the surroundings were like out there and, and Morton were happy for that as well. But it was it was bad advice for an agent, pretty much. That that's the be all and end all. It, it's something that if I didn't have an agent at the time, I would have went absolutely hands down, no problem at all. Obviously knowing they were going into Champions League. But I, I was advised that the move wouldn't be right for me and it wouldn't be the best move going forward. So that, that's why I ended up not going. See, that's fascinating for me because, as I say, I never knew that at the time. I thought it just broke down potentially because of location. Yeah. But that's... No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I had no ties at the time as well. There was, there was nothing holding me back from, from doing it. And ultimately, the, the agent who, who I left quite quickly after uh, advised me, look, it's all right getting you out there, but it'll be even harder to get you back across. And my argument was, even if you get one Champions League appearance, to your name, I says, how can it be hard moving back across to, to Britain to play? But that's ultimately how, how it played out, and at the end up, it was, it was pretty frustrating. Another spell you had was a trial at Watford as well. Malky Mackay was down there at the time. What was it like going down there and the facilities, etc., they had? I, well, that, that was the alternative argument from, from the agent at the time. He felt that would have been better uh, going down there. I'm not sure if he had a working relationship with Watford at the time. I know. They had maybe moved a few players down there, but in terms of going down there, the, their training ground and Arsenal's training ground are pretty much separated by a hedge. I don't know whether it was Arsenal's training ground originally and they've expanded it and then sold half of it off, but uh, the facilities were, were absolutely out of this world. But in terms of what I'd done when I was down there, it was... I, I don't want to say I wasted because it, was it was a great experience and... Training with some of the players who ultimately went on to play in, in the Premiership with them as well, and are still playing just now, it was good. But it was, I think, I travelled down down on the Sunday. They were off on the Monday. There's nothing to do on the Monday. Trained with the first team on the Tuesday, and then they had arranged a game. I think pretty much against an amateur team because the score was close to twenty nil in the game, which was an absolute waste of time. So I don't know how you can judge a player playing in a game like that. And then it was a recovery session Thursday, so I didn't really train Thursday and then fly back up for, for Morton's game at the weekend. So I'm not going to say it was a complete waste of time, but how they could have judged what type of player and, and what standard I was at in terms of what they had laid out over the week, I, I felt was, was pretty harsh. I agree, um, based on what you've said there, because it just seems, especially when you're saying a day of recovery, I mean, when you're on trial and you want to prove yourself, what, what good is that in terms of Proving yourself to a coach? Yeah, no, it, it wasn't great. And especially going down on the Sunday and, and been off on the Monday straight away kind of set the tone. So the, the only proper training session you had was, was probably the Tuesday. And that, that's what I can remember in terms of they were still preparing for, for the season going forward. So it was quite a tough, intense training session, which I thoroughly enjoyed. You know, it was, it was a good session. And I'm pretty sure Sean Dyche was potentially one of the coaches at the time thinking yep. back I might, be, I might be wrong and then obviously they had that game the following day when it was a recovery and then back up to take on with the normal day job at, at Morton In terms of Morton at that time you were as I say you were catching the eye of Unaria catching the eye of Watford other teams St Mirren were linked as well see having watched Chris Miller leave the club and go on to do well with St Johnston get promoted and play in the top flight in a way does that play in your mind in the sense that I'm watching some of the players I'm playing with going to play at a higher level. Maybe it's time I do the same. 
it, it was a wee, wee bit frustrating. Listen, I, I would never ever talk down any of my previous spell at Morton because the, the club were good enough to give me my opportunity in the of game. Course. But I probably felt I was ready two two years at least previous to that. But it was always it was always tied into longer term contracts, and and it was going to be a case of. Uh, the, the chairman at the time wanted X amount of money and they moved to other Scottish clubs and Scottish clubs didn't have that. So th- that's pretty much how, how it panned out. Anytime there was any interest, it was, well, this is how much you're going to have to pay. And that was it, pretty much dead in the water because at, at that stage, I hadn't played higher than, than the old second division. So clubs were going to be sceptical if they were going to pay money going forward. Is he going to be able to handle playing at a higher level? So it, it was frustrating. Midge obviously his contract expired the year before mine, I think it was, and he hadn't made that that move, and it, it worked out fantastically well for, for his career. Obviously, going on, he spent ten years at Saints and winning the Scottish Cup. Absolutely, and in terms of your next step, Hamilton Aki's, what attracted you to Hamilton at that time? You know what? It, <laughs> I'm going to touch on on the the agent. Again, it was the same agent that, that, that done the move to, to Hamilton. I had been in constant dialogue from the January with, with Derek McInnes in terms of following Midge to St Johnson, which thinking back now in, in hindsight is a wonderful thing. That is the move that I, I should have made. I should have went to St Johnson in terms of just the, the way the club was run, uh, the relationship I had with, with Derek at the time, obviously. He was keen to, to get us up there, and I felt probably at the last minute, I'm not saying let him down because he would have had other players in mind, but he was he was happy to, to pursue us and, and try and get us up there. And, and at the last minute, I kind of U turned, I would say, and signed for Aki's, but that's probably one of the regrets I have looking back on, on my time playing football. Is I should have signed for St Johnson, but ultimately wound up going to Hamilton. Going to Hamilton was an interesting spell because you played the majority of your spell at Hamilton as a sort of right wing back. What was that like compared to to playing at Morton, where you were more of an attacking minded player? Uh, it, it was it was strange, like uh, especially in the second season. But I think that they signed us on the basis of they felt I played as a left winger at Morton, but they wanted me to play on the right. In circumstances changed or whatever, whether it's injuries and different things and for that second season you know, literally one week you were playing left back, the next week you were playing right back the week after you were playing centre mid and I think for Hamilton I touched every position at Aki's in two years apart from potentially centre back and in goals and for for a player it's tough it's tough to build up you know, consistency in your game You're, you're going to be one role one week to the other. The manager obviously appreciates that you're they trust that you go and do a job in the different positions, but in terms of your own game, sometimes I'm yet to be convinced that it does you any good. After Hamilton, you were linked with a move down south to Carlisle, and you also trained for a spell at Morton. Was a return to Morton at that stage ever on your agenda? I, I never felt in my time at Hamilton I was given the time in the Premier League to prove myself. So I was always hopeful that that opportunity would, would come up and, and someone would take a chance. So I could, so I could prove the people at Hamilton wrong who, who felt that I maybe wasn't good enough to play. 
play at that level. So, in terms of, yeah, I spent, I think, a, a week down at Carlisle and played a game down there. And I, I was thankful, I think it was previous to Carlisle, Alan Moore had offered us the, the opportunity to, to train with Morton. I was close friends with Mark McLaughlin from Hamilton, who he had just signed, and had Marco sorted out just to keep myself ticking over, which I was grateful for. But it, it was something that was probably never really discussed about coming back at, at that stage. And obviously had a few irons in, in the fire going forward. And, and thankfully, uh, Dundee were promoted as, as Club 12 when, when that opportunity came about. Absolutely. Dundee's the move. Playing at Dens, you had Barry Smith as your manager at first, and then you had Bomber Brown. And in terms of him, I know you're a, you're a Boyhood Rangers fan. So, see, when you got to work with him, was that one of those sort of pinch yourself moments? It was strange because you had heard a lot of stories of, of his coaching techniques at Rangers and stuff, and you were thinking, is this going to be a good move for the club going forward? But from day one, and you can ask anyone that was in that squad that played under him, they thoroughly enjoyed their, their, their time playing under him as a manager. And he never ever gets the credit he deserves in terms of being a manager, I don't think, because everyone just thinks he's a shout on a baller and, and different things. He just motivates you and, and different things. But he, he switched on tactically as well. And when he came in, we, we were cast away drift at the bottom of the league when, when he came in, I'm sure. And, we made a fist of it towards the end of the season because he came in and he changed the shape and he put different personnel in different positions and it seemed to work and we had a wee go at it in the last six weeks of the season and we were unfortunate not to, to catch the one and, and take it to the, the final few games. Two players I want to touch on in that squad are, um, first of all, Gary Harkins, obviously played at Morton as well. Um, what was he like to play with? Because he's someone who... Watching him over the years, the technical abilities got brilliant, and I'm sure, I'm sure he would admit himself as well that maybe if he was just a yard, a yard quicker, he would maybe have went even higher than he than he did in his career. Yeah, everyone knows about about Jeeves's ability uh, in terms of abilities up there. We're one of the best players I've I've played with, and as I touched on previously with, with Bomber, he changed the formation to suit certain personnel, and. It got him playing with a freedom. He was effectively not a three in midfield, but myself and I think it was maybe Ian Davidson or Kevin McBride just sat in behind him, won the ball, and, and Jeeves, he could go and play wherever he wanted on the field and go and affect games. And he scored some big goals for us in that run towards the end of the season. And I'd say Bomber got, got the best out of him. But you're bang on with what you say. He's probably one of these players, again, that will maybe look back and think, I should probably have played at a higher level for longer than what he did. Absolutely. And another two players that interest me from that first season at Dundee, um, Martin Boyle obviously went on to play for Australia, and Declan Gallagher, now a Scotland international. What were they like at that stage in their career? Because they were much raw than obviously they are now. Boyle, Boyle was extremely raw when he signed. I think it was Barry Smith that brought him in and he obviously seen potential in him. He, listen, he, he always had that blistering pace. It's frightening how quick he is and I don't want to take anything away from his footballing ability, but that, that's probably one of his biggest assets. I think he was sent back on loan not long after he came in and, and that obviously done him a world of good as well. Uh, when, when 
Paul Hartley came in, it was a, a bizarre transfer to, to send him to Hibs. We all felt, as players, we obviously felt it was the best deal for Dundee. I think Alex Harris was the one that, that came the other way to Dundee. And you'd be fair to be Boyley. Uh, he, he's never looked back. Hibs was the right move for him in the right time. He's obviously worked hard at his game and improved massively uh, going forward. And he deserves every success that, that he's having in the game, be it international level or at Hibs, because he's had a couple of bad injuries as well. And he's responded well to the injuries, so no, fair play to him. In terms of a big deck, he, he's a, he's another one that's he never played to begin with at Dundee, but when he got his opportunity, he, he came in and he was certainly a regular. He, he's got listen, he's got the physical attributes needed to be a centre back, but his career's been a wee bit of a bumpy road as well. After Dundee, he encountered a few problems, but fair play to him. He, he dropped down. A couple of divisions, you know, to, to get his head right and to get focused and back playing football again, and 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 he deserves all the success as well, you know, for, for taking these steps in his career, and he's he's certainly flourishing now at Motherwell. Absolutely, and good good to see that players can bounce back, especially after adversity. And <clears throat> as a club, Dundee bounce back. You you mentioned the fact, unfortunate in the sense that you go down in that season in the Premier League, but when you go down, you're credit to Dundee when you look back at this because you look at Dundee United in the Championship this season, pretty comprehensive winners. We've seen that over the years. Hearts when they were in the league the last time as well, pretty comprehensive. But the season you went up with Dundee, you had Hamilton, your former club, chasing you and you had Falkirk. In the end, the top three are separated by, by just three points. What was that season like? Because every game is a cup final. Yeah, it was tough. It had obviously been well documented before the season started. There's not many teams come down and bounce straight back up. And we knew it was a kind of period of transition for the club as well because we knew that there was going to be a takeover in terms of the Americans coming in. And it was so, so important that we, we got the club straight back up. They had shown a lot of faith in the, the squad for the previous year. They, they had kept on a lot of the, the boys that were already there, as well as adding good experience in, with Gavin Ray and Peter McDonald, I like as well, who, who came in and were big players for us. But... The season in a whole was was a roller coaster of emotions. You know, one week you were you were sky high, the next you were as low as can be, and that was ultimately right up until the the final weeks of the season. Absolutely, and got to ask you the obvious question in terms of Paul Hartley. What was Paul like to work with as a manager? He'd obviously had had a good uh, pedigree and a good ground in Aloha uh, before he came in, and. Uh, he came in, he never really rocked the boat too much in terms of going forward because we were in the middle of a title race and that was important that, that he didn't do that and which we felt at the time was, was the right thing to do going forward. So uh, he got us over the line ultimately in the last day of the season, but he got us there and got the job done. Getting the job done, very important. And in terms of getting up to the, the, the top flight, I mean, not only to get promoted, but finish top six in the season you get back there. I mean, just just sum up that season because again, you were another present. Yeah, no, it was it was. I, I've touched on before. It's it's an achievement. I don't think it gets the probably the recognition it, it deserves. Albeit we ultimately snuck into the top six in the kind of final league game round of league games before it, but we had delivered a couple of big results. You know, a, a derby win at home. Of note, you know, to 
Ricky standards up in good stead for making the top six. But it was just unfortunate when, when you look at where, where the club is just now in terms of Dundee, it's unfortunate it's something that they couldn't build on. I've got to ask you about Kevin Thompson. I know he was getting towards the end of his career and he's, when he got to Dundee, obviously he'd been at Rangers, been at Middlesbrough, etc. What was he like technically? Because he was one of those players I, I, you just loved to watch in that era of Scottish football when he was at Hibs and then Rangers. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm always always pretty pretty vocal when it comes to Tomo, uh, the career he's had. He's, he's probably by far the best player that, that I played with. Uh, and I'm not saying some, I'm not saying he was finished when he came to Dundee. He was obviously in the final years of his contract, and he had picked up probably a few injuries over that season. But there was a few spells where he, he could be out for six, seven weeks at a time, and he'd come straight back into training. And he'd be the best player by by a country mile. He would take the ball under any pressure at all on the field. He would relieve you for that pressure. He would get you a breather. Uh, and get the team up the park, but he's certainly, uh, certainly the best player I've probably played with in my career. A, a great player, as we mentioned, and for, and I want to talk about one of the great characters who is, as you know, all over the media now, Simon Ferry. What was he like at that time? Not only as a player, but as a character. Could you see him get on to do what he's done with open goal, even at that spell, just because of his personality? He asks about a thousand questions a day. So, in in terms of doing what he's doing just now. He's perfectly fitted for, for the role that he's doing and he's, he's doing a fantastic job. But in terms of a player, he always talks himself down. And I listen to his podcasts and stuff and he's constantly putting himself down uh, for what he's done previously in his career. So he was a brilliant player. He was unfortunate with injuries and stuff. He probably never played as regularly as he, as he wanted to. But in, in terms of a ball-playing central midfield, it, 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 was, it was a terrific, terrific football player, there's no doubt about it. After that top six season at Dundee, being an ever-present, was an opportunity to go to England something that you were really interested in, to test yourself down there? Yeah, no, it's something that I've said previously, I wish I'd done probably early in my career, because it, albeit I was, I was injured for about 13 months of the, the three years I was down there, but just the experience of English football and Constantly playing games, you play so many games down there. Uh, it felt probably suited me in terms of the way that I played and that I thoroughly really enjoyed my time down there. In terms of Blackpool, see when you get down there, it's a club that obviously has had its troubles. And for instance, the first season you get down there was a really tough season for the club going down to League Two. One of your teammates I want to ask about down there is um, Big Emerson Boyce. Did he remind the boys constantly that he'd won the FA Cup? You know what? He's so down to earth, and he would only speak about it if he was asked. And ultimately, players would ask him to bring in his medal and stuff like that. And, and he did. He, he brought it into the training to let the boys see it, which was Brilliant. was a nice touch. But he's another player that was coming towards the end of his, his playing career, and he was a big help for, for the younger kids. He, he was always he was always one to, to lean on for advice, you know, and he, he was always happy to to give it out. He probably never played regularly at Blackpool that season, but any time he was called upon, uh, he never let anyone down. But he gave us a brilliant story, like uh, touching on when he was when he signed for Wigan, potentially. I think it was when he signed for Wigan, and he, he got a clause in his contract 
that if he ever get called up internationally, then he was due X amount of money per cat. But I don't think Wigan done their research on him and they thought he was only eligible to play for England. But it turns out Boyce's went on. I don't I can't remember what country it is he's represented. I think it's Barbados. Barbados, that's the one. Well he's represented Barbados God knows how many times and every time he was getting this call up, he was getting his bank account uh, filled up with a significant sum of money. So I thought that was a brilliant story. No, that's tremendous to be fair. And it and it's one of those things where as you've said, they should have done their research, so fair play to him. Very clever. Very, very clever. See when the club goes down, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to put you in a spot because I know you've got a lot of respect for Blackpool as the club, and I wouldn't ask you to do that. But the club was owned at the time by the Oyston family. Was how difficult an atmosphere at times was that to play in? Because clearly the fans love their club. They've come flocking back as you've seen now. But at that time, a few of them did stay away. Oh, it was nuts! Like over, over the three years, some of the stuff you were you were hearing and seeing. Some some of the protests were were quite frightening as well. In terms of turning up for games, if there was a protest planned, you, you had to give your, your family and, and stuff the heads up if they were coming to the ground. They had to come into the ground via a side door or whatever to avoid what was going on at the front door. There'd be flares getting flung in, in the front door and bottles getting launched at the, the boardroom windows were, were up above the, the front door and, and stuff like that. So it was it was carnage. Like it was it was absolute carnage and it's good now looking back. Uh, to see that the club's now in different hands uh, and hopefully it can now build back to a level that, that it probably should be. But in terms of the Oystons, I think it was Carl Oyston's son, the registration plate in his car read Oyst out. It was OY57 out. So it just shows how much respect he had for for the, for the supporters. It was It was bizarre and it was just... It was a standoff that was never going to end well and the supporters dug their heels in for, for many a year and, and thankfully they won in the end up. See, uh, see when you tell that story, I mean, you as a player are, are clearly annoyed with that. Me listening to that is annoyed. I mean, you just think to yourself for the fans as well. I mean, no wonder they were so angry because some of the stuff that was going on financially, etc., was annoying enough. But to, to then rub it in their face like that, I mean, it, was a, it must have been just... At times, as players, it must have been frustrating in the sense that, all right, albeit technically the club is paying your wages, etc. But even as players, you must have thought you need to go for the good of this club just so they can we can get some positivity. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, one thing certainly never had a problem with was getting paid. You know, obviously there was the worry about them not putting money into the club and different things. That that was never ever a problem. But it was just simple things they running a club at that size and. They wouldn't employ kit men and, and different things because players can go and do all that stuff themselves. Uh, but the, the, there's members of staff there that, that have worked there for years and they could write a book on some of the decisions that were made and, and different things. And that was obviously only there for, for a short period of time. But as I touched on before, uh, you, you feel for the fans now. You've seen the first couple of games back under the new ownership that when Peel Road was, was packing with supporters and it's good to see, so hopefully we can get back to the championship where we belong. Before we come to the, your injury, before we come to the sort of playoff final, 
I want to ask you about the players you played against down there in the standard, because you'd played in Scotland your whole career. When you were down there, what was it like and who were your toughest direct opponents? Because even in League One and League Two, there's some players that are, are top level. Yeah, I was actually trying to have a look back a couple of weeks ago because you're playing against players at the time you don't realise are now playing in the Premiership, ultimately, you know, whether yep. it was kind of younger boys on loan at the time. I know young boy, Rhys James, it's at Chelsea. I think he was on loan at Wigan. Uh, Harry Wilson. Yep. From Liverpool. I'm sure he was on loan at Crew at the time. It turns out we, we played against him. And, and even folk coming to the end of their career, Joe Cole was at Coventry when we played against them. And probably the, the biggest one, we drew Palace in, in the League Cup. And probably going to Palace and playing at Selhurst and playing against some of their players. It was Christian Benteke's debut. They had just signed him a couple of days previous for 35 million quid, and his debut was against us in, in the League Cup. So, but in terms of standard, you know, you think back, we, we had that Sheffield United team in League One that first season down there, and there's still a lot of faces from, from that team that are involved in the Premier League team now. So, the overall standard, especially the first season, was, was certainly very, very high. How tough mentally was your injury? Because it sort of robbed you of the the big highlight in terms of the playoffs, etc. I mean, mentally, how tough is an injury to take? And for the injury that you had as well, how tough also was it physically? Yeah, no, it, it was it was certainly it was tough. Like, listen, players get injured all the time, and I had just been fortunate enough up until that point in my career that I'd, I'd managed to avoid anything like that and it, it was frustrating but I was, I was so lucky also on the other hand that I had a manager a, a right good man manager in Gary Boyer who, who kind of kept your mind right you know when something like that happens you feel a million miles away from, from the dressing room and a million miles away from the squad but straight away within a week ten days he was sending me uh, games to, to watch and, and do match reports for them and, and different things and, and work with a video analyst and, and stuff and, and keep me involved that way. And I, I've done a match report for him for a game, a midweek game, and, and, he, he, and Tommy says, look, I'm happy with the match report. You can give the, the team talk to the boys and where you think we can we can win and lose this game. So in terms of that side, yeah, he, was, he was absolutely unbelievable for me. See, that's incredible in terms of doing that. And something I want to come to at some point, but we may as well come to it now because it seems relevant, especially after doing match reports, etc. In terms of your future in the game, coaching, scouting, is that something that you're, you're considering doing to, to make sure you stay in football once you, you hang up the boots? Because you've still got life in you yet, of course, but the next chapter will be approaching maybe in the next two or three years. It's probably some... Listen, football's ruthless. It's a ruthless and it can be a horrible industry at times with, with uncertainty and everything that it brings and if coaching or, or scouting or, or something or an opportunity that arises then, then it'd be hard to say no I've started doing my badges but I, I'm not sure if it's if it's something that you potentially go and actively chase I, I feel if someone was to offer you a, a coaching role then I, I feel I could offer something in return given the, the games that I've, I've played throughout my career in football so uh, that that's a bridge that probably just to cross it if the opportunity ever arises. Absolutely, and in terms of yourself, Jim, you had the injury, you, you started to, to come back, getting yourself fit, and 
something that's always interested me. Whenever you were back home, you would sometimes still come and watch Morton games. Yeah, no, every opportunity. I, I like to come back uh, and take in a game. Obviously, throughout that period, quite often if 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 you're playing away from home down south, the you leave every Friday. Uh, every Friday is an overnight stay for for away games. So I would be in all week doing my rehab, and, and quite often they would set off on a Friday morning. So if I could, and, and the family wanted to get back up the road, I would, I would try and get back up the road on a Saturday. And if it, I wasn't going to Capital, I'd be going to the Ibrox to, to take in a, a game of football and, and quite often managed to get back to Capital, which was nice because there's a lot of similar faces that were, were still there for, for my time when I was there as a player. Well, in terms of coming back to Morton, I remember at the time because you and Chris Miller were big players for me when I was growing up and the fact that both of you came back at the same time was just amazing. It was like throwing, turning back the gears. I mean, what was that like from your perspective as well? Not only you're coming back, but he's coming back as well at the same time. No, it was good. It was good. Obviously, it was, we, had, we had spoke to each other. Mitch had obviously said he's, he's been offered the opportunity to, to come back and it, it suits him. He's couple of years older than me and stays local and it, it was the perfect move for him in terms of coming back and but that, it was a big factor when, when he had signed, I think he had signed maybe a week or so before I did and, and that was certainly a, a big factor in, in the decision making but I'd never been shy over the years of saying that uh, Morton were good enough to, to help me at the start of my career so if I could at some point, even if it's towards the end of my, my career, come back in, in any way of capacity and, and try and help the club in, in any way going forward, then it's something I'd like to do. It, it was great to see you back and obviously still at the club now. And In terms of last season, I don't want to dwell on it too much because we've been down that road X amount of times, but you come in and you've got a manager in charge who obviously is ambitious. The club have got a plan to come back to the top flight. Things change pretty quickly. There's a change of manager. How tough was that as a senior player? Did you feel let down at that stage? Yeah, letdown's probably the best term, I would certainly say. We had started the season well. The boys were really, really enjoying training. They were enjoying playing under Rain and Daz. You know, it was a great atmosphere about the training ground. They had built a good squad and we felt we were on a really good thing going forward. And It probably hit us like a ton of bricks and I think the results following that probably tell you that as well. It kind of knocked the stuffing out. It was even that early on in the season. And that that Friday was just a, a, a bizarre day. Uh, preparing for the Thistle game and as normal. Training was as normal as can be. Had a lunch and everyone set off and, and head home. And I, I got a text about an hour and a half later for a journalist saying I'm hearing your manager's going to be the next Falkirk boss and it's going to be announced later on the day. And, from there on, obviously, you go and do a bit of digging, and it ultimately turned out that it was it was true, and it was just it was completely bizarre. I remember at the time you said that it was never communicated directly with the players from him. Has he ever spoken to any of the boys since and said anything about it? I just he's, he's probably he signed a couple of them, hasn't he? He, he took a couple of them to yeah. Falkirk ultimately, and personally, I've never came face to face to him in, in any of the games that we played against him uh, last year. I've, I bumped into his assistant, uh, Darren Taylor, on, on the B licence last summer and sat and had a good chat with him and, and he kind of set out his, the, the reasons as to 
as to why they've done it. And ultimately, I, I, I told them like we weren't happy as players that, that nobody reached out to us to explain at the time. But ultimately, you've got to respect why why they wanted to do it as well. Of course, and so the next manager comes in in terms of Jonathan Johansson after obviously a few caretaker games with, with John Sutton and Derek Anderson. And something that interests me about Johansson is I've been lucky enough recently to speak to Michael Tidzer. I've spoken to Jack Iredale, spoken to a few others. And at the time, you know yourself, Jonathan was getting quite a bit of criticism from elements of the fan base. And many would say understandably so because maybe the style of football he set up quite defensively because of the situation. But every single player I've interviewed so far said he was a good coach and I enjoyed working under him. Were you the same? Absolutely. 100%. And he's probably one of the most hardest working managers that, that I've had the pleasure of played under as well. And I would have nothing but positive things to say about him. It was for his first job that probably wasn't ideal to be put into that position. Obviously, fans' expectations were sky high given the way we had started the season. And ultimately, we had that kind of initial dip after after Ray had left but I think you saw the way we finished the season you know there, there was positive signs that he was starting to get his points across because coaches can't just walk into a club inherit another manager's players and click his fingers and expect everything to be rosy and work straight away it, it's it's a transition period and it's got to take a bit of time and ultimately there was a bit of frustration there from, from supporters and that's maybe understandable because they were frustrated with what had happened with the race situation and stuff like that. And unfortunately, uh, we only had JJ to the end of the season. That's true. And, and one of the big crucial games was obviously Falkirk away. Um, two players I want to ask you about in terms of that respect. First of all, being Michael Tidser. Spoken to to Michael, as you know, um, had nothing but, but, but good words to say about his time at Morton and Mitz now in hindsight he regrets leaving. In terms of the build-up to that game, yourself, Chris Miller, as the senior boys in the team, were you making sure you kept a kind of closer eye on him towards that Falkirk game to make sure he was in the right frame of mind and ensure that he was on the pitch? Yeah, no, listen to his professionalism. I had a daily conversation with him because you were always... He's the type of boy that you maybe need to put an arm around and he's always wanting assurances that he's doing the right things, and etc., etc., and... Even though what was going on in the background with Tidzer at that time, he was nothing but professional. He's a fantastic trainer and also he's a fantastic football player as well. So in terms of his teammates and being elder teammates at that, there was never ever any doubt that he wouldn't go out and put in a performance that was right for Morton. Absolutely, he sure did. And another player that made a big impact in the, the tail end of that season that to be fair, Jonathan Johansson gave the opportunity to Reese Lyon. I mean, as a senior player, he's playing in midfield. Yourself and Chris again. I know you can't speak for Chris, but for yourself, did you make sure that you sort of mentored him through those games because you'd been there yourself at his age? I think it comes with his age. You maybe don't need to, to mentor them. You maybe a wee bit more so out of possession. Just make sure you're, you're in the correct positions. But as a young player at Reese's age, you play with a freedom. You don't really care, you know, what's going on round about you. And in terms of when we were in possession of the ball, you would just let Reese just go and do, go and do what he wanted to do. And I was lucky Reese kind of hit the ground running when when he first got involved with the first team. Obviously, JJ was was brave enough to to throw him in, and you would have to feel that that Reese repaid him with with some very good performances. 
Indeed, and in terms of the season just gone, obviously it's ended in a, a strange way that you're not used to in your career and so many of us aren't used to in our lifetimes. I mean, I'm only 24, but I speak to people in my family that are in their kind of 60s and they go, I've never seen a situation like this. It's bizarre. But in terms of David Hopkins, I've been lucky enough to get to know David over the last year and he really impresses me as a human being and also as a manager. What's he been like to work with? Because everyone knows what he's achieved at Livingston and, and of course that is his aim long-term in Morton, but as a manager and as, as a coach, he's, he seems to have improved the team month on month since he's came in. Yeah, it, it, he's been fantastic for me as, as a senior player, you know. And what I like about him, uh, he, he respects all his players. I played under managers before, you feel don't have any respect for their players. But first and foremost, he respects players' opinions as well. He, he takes things on board. But as I mentioned with JJ, it was... Also, it was never going to be a quick fix when, when he comes in the door. The, the squad had been almost completely turned over this time. So there's a whole new bunch of players coming in as well. And he's wanting to get new ideas across. And as you say, month on month, it was, it was slowly but surely starting to come together. And unfortunately, or, or typically for us, is we're starting to kind of push up the table and get closer to the playoff places that ultimately the the pandemic hit and, and the football was, was stopped, which was very frustrating. But the boys enjoyed his coaching. You know, they enjoyed coming into their work in the morning. And I say, hopefully, hopefully as a squad going forward, that that's something that we can keep. One of the nicest moments I had this season, which was a, <laughs> a total fluke, to be honest with you, just in terms of where I was sitting in the main stand. When you scored your first goal, uh, it was Dunfermline quite late on. Where I was sitting in the stand, I was sitting actually a row or two behind your missus and your, your, your two girls. And to see you score for me as a fan meant a lot because you'd played for the club previously and it was, it was great to see you get on the score sheet again because we desperately wanted to see that. But to see their reaction in the stand was, was, it was just incredibly lovely as well. And I remember you running over and celebrating in front of them as well. See, having come back to Morton and having a young family now, just what's it like being this, that sort of elder statesman? Because I imagine for your girls, and obviously you've got a newborn as well now, it must be incredible to, to have your kids watching you play. It's good. I, I know one of them takes note of the games. The other one sits with her head on <laughs> an iPad. But uh, no, no, it's nice. It, listen, it had been that long since I had scored as well. It's not something that I've really been renowned for throughout my career in scoring goals. So that, that moment was nice. And knowing that they were... They were sitting in the stand uh, watching because I don't think Harlow, my youngest girl, was born the last time I scored down at Blackpool. So that, that tells you how long ago uh, that was. So it, it's nice. It, they, they don't get down every week to, to watch the football, but when they get down, uh, they can. And it's it's a nice feeling knowing that they're sitting in the stand kind of, kind of cheering me on. Absolutely. And in terms of the future... I hope we can see you at Morton long term, especially in a coaching role. I'd love to see that. But I want to finish with just some quick fire questions. First one being, you've played in some great derby matches over the years. Morton St Mirren, Dundee, Dundee United. I mean, what's it like playing in those derby games? It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. I enjoy the build up to it. Obviously, you see what it means to, to Morton supporters to win over St Mirren and equally Dundee. Uh, to get over Dundee United and was fortunate enough to, as you say, played in it's a good games over the years and, and lucky enough to have scored in both of them. I scored in the, the Morton St Mern 
in the old Love Street, one of the Rivers Cup games, which was, was pretty special. Uh, I think we were beaten 2 0 that day and scored in the Scottish Cup tie. I think it was the first goal Dundee had scored against Dundee United for eight or nine years or something as well. But unfortunately, we wanted to lose the game that afternoon. But Derby games, you'll know as a, a supporter and other supporters can relate to it, just the, the build up and then getting one over your rivals is, is pretty special. So to try and play a part on the field and, and help those supporters get, get those moments, uh, I thoroughly enjoy it. Absolutely. And in terms of playing at Capelo, just how much have you enjoyed that over the years and your first spell and also been back at the club now? Uh, brilliant. It's, it's one of those proper old-fashioned football stadiums when you look at it and it's got character and I've been lucky enough that lots of nice memories uh, playing on the, on that pitch as well and built up relationships with with, with some supporters that, that were there from you recognise from your first spell to, to your second spell it's, it's nice to see the, some of the same faces in the stands as well so uh, no, it's, it's certainly very nice a few different type of questions now for you, Jim. Who was your childhood hero as a footballer? Childhood hero would probably be a safe one, Ali McCoist, probably growing up. Been the one that, that grabbed all the goals and all the attention when, when you were watching football and ultimately being a striker myself as well. He's probably, probably someone I'd say I looked up to. Favourite sport outside of football? I'm a keen golfer. Played like talking about Gary Harkins earlier on, we, we try and play golf as, as often as we can. Obviously, looking forward to hopefully this Friday to getting back onto the golf course and, and uh, getting a few rounds in. But I was a keen shinty player as well when I was younger and, and it got to a, a choice where it was either choose shinty or, or choose football and had to give it up. So I'd probably say either, either golf or, or shinty, I would say. Favourite film? Favourite film? Uh, probably original classic Dumb and Dumber probably anytime it's on the telly you make sure you tune in and watch it favourite band Oasis Oasis I would say that's probably about my generation and I think I've seen them twice before they they split up once at Hamden and once in the SACC and they were brilliant live so I'd probably say Oasis Um, Tear Coffee neither Never, I've it's something I've never been able to acquire a taste for, and, which is strange. Uh, I've never drank tea or never drank coffee. Beer or wine? Neither. Neither again. Probably boring. Boring in terms of that. I can't bring myself to, to drink. I can't acquire a taste for for beer or wine either. Uh, if I was to have a drink now and again, I'd probably have a, have a vodka lemonade and wine. I would probably say that's my, my tipple, but I certainly can't drink beer or wine. Can't, can't acquire a taste but. In terms of your teammates at Morton at the moment, who's got the worst dress sense? Oh, no, hands down, uh, Big Sam the goalie, Sam Ramsbottom. <laughs> he, he wears the same clothes for about three days running sometimes. And I've got last night's dinner stains odding the jumper and all that, so I'll certainly see Big Sam. Who would you say is the most skillful in the team at the moment? Oh, most skillful. Probably Nizzy. I would, I would give that to, to Nizzy. He's a, a kind of wee old school winger. 
he's got plenty of ability on the ball, so some of the stuff he can do is, is probably a cut above the eye. Who is the fastest in the team? Nah, Cads, I'd probably say. Nah, it's probably something. Nah, well, it'd be close between two. It'd be close between Cads and Cammy Salkeld, I would say. Probably Cads would, would just shade it. The two of them are, are machines in terms of when it comes to running. Lots of the boys talk about how demanding the senior players are in the dressing room. Who's the biggest boner? You or Midge? Oh, Midge. <laughs> and he'll admit that himself. You can, you can ask him himself. No, nah, listen, it's not a bad thing because he's got standards and he's got high standards, what he's been used to his whole career. So when, when Midge is moaning, he just wants the best to everyone else in the dressing room. Some broader ones in terms of your whole career. Who's been the best players you've played with? You mentioned Kevin Thompson earlier. Who else would you add to that list? Kevin Thompson, uh, Andy McLaren. You'd probably have to add to that as well. And you'd probably, in, in terms of natural ability, you could, you could add in Gary Harkins to that also. Fortunately, I've played with Greg Stewart at Dundee when he had his, his first season at Dundee also. So you'd have to add in Greg to that, given what he's going on to achieve his career as well. Toughest direct opponent? Um, James MacArthur, probably. We played, uh, touched back in the Palace game in the League Cup with, with Blackpool. Obviously, James is flying down there. He's one of the, the kind of main stays in that Crystal Palace team. And, I think it was him and Johan Kabai that, that played centre mid that night, but, but James is, is a complete athlete as well as a good football player. And he's an extremely difficult to play against. Most underrated player you've played with? Oh. In terms of promo, I'm not saying he, I'm not for one minute saying he's underrated, but in terms of what he probably should have achieved in his career, you could probably add Tidzer to that. I'm, I'm not saying like he was underrated but in terms of the ability that he had in, in that left foot and the passing range he's probably someone who should have went on and, and certainly had a, a I'm not saying he's not had a good career but he could have played at a, a higher level for longer In terms of your time at Morton two spells I know asking you to pick a best 11 we could be here all day who have been the sort of best players in each position? I think goalkeepers you could touch on, on a couple as well. Uh, even going back to Craig Coyle, I think, was the first goalie I played with. Coyle was, was a fantastic goalie forward with Davy McGurn as well. But uh, last year, uh, young Robbie McCrory, I, I felt, had, had something about him. And, and he would certainly be, be up there as one of, one of the better goalies that, that I've been fortunate enough to play with. In terms of the defenders, Big Grish is, is probably an obvious one at Morton. He captained the club for, for a number of years and you knew what you got for the big man. He would hear your granny. As <laughs> the term goes, he would, he would run through a brick wall for you. He was a great teammate, along with one of my best friends in, in football, Davy McGregor, as well. Someone who I built up a, a good relationship with. He used to travel to training with Davy. I would come across the ferry from Rossi and he would come across for the moon and I'd pick him up and head up to training. So in terms of defenders, they, they two probably deserve a, a special mention. If you're going into midfielders, obviously Andy McLaren has touched on before. Midge as well. Tids are ones that we've touched on have been top class uh, 
of the years and even other ones that probably go under the radar a wee bit. I, I played in the left wing and Kevin Finlayson was one that, that played on the right. You know, he's another player you knew. You could trust him. You knew if, if he was in that start of living that you would get something from him. Um, in terms of any other midfielders, you could maybe add Jamie Stevenson to that this evening that we won the, the second division. Uh, another player who, who should have played at a much higher level as well. So much ability uh, in his locker and a match winner on his day. Uh, we have no doubt about it. Moving to the front line, there was, there was loads of strikers that you could touch on probably over my time. Mentioned him right at the start, Alex Williams. was as natural a finisher as you'll see in front of a goal. It just he had that period, obviously, in the third division, and unfortunately, he never really kicked on after that. And I thought the club had the right asset in their hands, but unfortunately, one thing led to another, and he found himself falling out of the game. Big Peter Weatherston speaks for himself in terms of what he achieved at the club, scoring, I think, he scored over 100 goals and umpteen appearances as well. And not all of them as a striker, obviously, a lot of them from, from right back as well. So. Peter and Alex would certainly be up there with, with the better strikers and you, you could throw in Paul McGowan and, and Derek Lally and folk like that as well. Absolutely. And normally I ask players for a sort of five-a-side team, whether it would be for their boyhood club or the club they're playing at. But I've got an interesting one for you. You've swapped shirts with so many incredible players. If you had to make a five-a-side team from the, the player shirts that you have, who'd be in it? Oh. I've got any goalie ones. <laughs> you know, I, I would, I'll put myself in goals I'll put myself in goals uh, Virgil van Dijk probably he could play the back himself then moving into midfield probably Victor Wanyama and Gavin Ray in midfield and well you throw Jason McArthur in there as well. This is tough. Jason McArthur as well. In terms of strikers, Stephen Fletcher and Yelovich. It was at Rangers. I'd probably say so. I've done myself in goals. Virgil van Dijk, Gavin Ray, Victor Wanyama, Yelovich, Stephen Fletcher. I think that would be Absolutely. And the last question I've got for you, a broad one, but you're someone who's, as we've talked about, had a very long career in the game. I think it's appropriate to ask you this question just for any young footballers listening. What advice would you give to any young footballer who wants to make a career in the game now? Have every train, every training session as if it's your last and play every game as if it's your last because you never know what's around the corner. That's one bit of advice that I've always taken on board and Train the way you play and play the way you train also kind of falls into that bracket. But listen, listen to your coaches, listen to what you've been told. Be dedicated, don't cut any corners. You know, if extra work needs to be done on your own, go away and do it. You know, work on your weaknesses and you'll be a better player for it. But ultimately, don't listen to your coaches because they won't be giving you bad advice. Brilliant, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. No, no problem. Enjoyed it. Thank you.